Hello and welcome to Cubicle Confidential, weekly advice for the working stiff. I'm Chris DeSantis, and let me introduce my co-host, starting with Jays, the never jejun, the frequently jolly, and the absolute jewel of a podcast co-host, Mary Abijay. That was outstanding, Chris. That was outstanding. When I heard the word jejun, because people, just so you know, jejun means boring, undemanding, <laughs> immature, adolescent, lightweight, insubstantial, superficial. Like I was a little worried. So thank you for saying never jejun. Never. Let me be clear. Never. <laughs> That's probably a stretch. Um, well, hello, everybody. My name is Mary Abajay, and I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, whom you might know as the jolly, the jovial, and the John T. Chris DeSantis. <laughs> Those all sort of ring the same way. Jolly, jovial, and John T. John T. I like John T. Yeah. Is a nice phrase. John Isn't John T. nice? I like yes, John T. Yes, yes. I don't I think we have use knickers for John yeah. T. I think that we need to make that word more popular again. John yeah. T. Although it's such an old word, you want to associate it with somebody in that category. Although I don't know, you know, John T. You wouldn't say that to a kid. You're such a jaunty kid. I would. I think I will. I think I'm the next little kid I see. I'm going to be like, my, aren't you jaunty? <laughs> and be like, mom, she called exactly. me a bad word. Exactly. Oh, that's fun. Well, hey, Amy, hey, how have you been? How are you? I've been really well. Thank you very much. I'm yeah. getting ready to go to Brussels. And so I'm oh, very excited for right. that. Yeah, why don't you time... tell our viewers why you get to go to Brussels well, and I do not? I might have a little gig with a little firm called U.S. Delegation to NATO. <laughs> 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 but I'm excited. So by the wow. time this airs, I'll probably have I'll probably be back. Oh, that'll be great. I, yeah. I I like Brussels. There's a big square. Everyone goes to the same square in Brussels to look at the little statue of the guy peeing. Yeah, yeah. I think you told me that. Right. That's on my list. Right. So, exactly. Chris, we're like, and thanks for the advice because isn't that what we're talking about today? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a bit of an uh, ironic episode because it's the worst advice ever. And so, <laughs> uh, and there, and here we are, an advice show talking about the worst advice ever. And by the way, um, one of our one of our listeners has written back. And my advice has counted among the worst. So, oh, I know. By I the way, love it. Speaking of the worst advice, Mary, what's the worst advice? Do, or I don't know if you know. What's the worst advice you ever got? What do you think? Well, I mean, besides every conversation I have with my husband, who, <laughs> who literally cannot cannot let me finish a sentence about anything before he starts giving me advice. Uh, How is your walk, honey? He'll say to me. And I'm like, oh, you know, it was a little hot out there. And boom, he's like, well, you should wear a hat. You should wear sunscreen. Are you wearing drinking enough water? Like, like I didn't ask you for advice. I was answering a question about the weather. So besides that, uh, I've had two really bad pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. And I feel a little nervous about talking about it because I... I'm not quite so sure that the people that gave me this advice may or may not be listening, but I'm just going to go for it anyway, because right. it wasn't so much that the advice was bad. It was that I took the advice. Oh. Uh, the first piece was when um, uh, when I first started CareerStone, I had a business partner who was fantastic, mm -hmm. and she decided that she wanted to retire, so I had to buy her out. So mm -hmm. I reached out to a friend of mine who's a very big business guy. He's very, very, very smart. I'm like, what do I do? And he's like, oh, you got to come out swinging with a big old dick. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you got to. So he like crafted this like really harsh email that, which I sent. 
and then it just everything went downhill after that. Like, oh, then you became was, an adversarial. Then exchange. became adversarial, right. which I probably would have done anyway because buying out someone is hard. Yeah, but it was bad advice. I should have taken it. And the second piece of bad advice that I got, and I probably have talked about this on the show, is when my sister and I started our first bar. Um, <gasps> oh yeah, and, right. Uh, everyone said, "Oh, get some partners. That's the best way to get money. You get some partners, and then they feel invested, and it's an easy way to get money." Mm-hmm. And that was bad advice. I should have gotten just investors. I should have just gotten people to give me money without any ownership and paid them back. Like, you know, I should have done that because once you have those partners, it's really hard to get rid of them. Yeah, no, that's, a, yeah, I, I remember you telling that story and then, yeah, because yeah, they, and they got a lot back from you. They made they still a didn't. ton of money yeah, and, and they, they were still, still pay- yeah. and they were still paying in my ass. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. How about awful. you? What's the worst advice you ever got? Yeah. I, it was a long, long time ago. I remember I was having sort of a, a, a crisis as to what should I do next? And so- <sighs> Uh, one of my friends had said to me, uh, why don't you become an airline steward? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, right. And I, because he, I think the intention was, look, you can travel around the world. It's not, not a lot of pressure. Uh, although, you know, no offense to anyone who's an airline steward, I, you know, because I travel, you travel a lot I'm on sorry. airlines. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Thank you. Uh, but no offense to any that, because, but I, I you know. I've seen how people behave and yeah. uh, this is, they treat the, you know, they treat these people badly. Yeah, they that, do. They don't get enough respect and, and you know, what's their job? To keep you safe and happy in the air and they have to deal with all of these sort of uh, loutish behaviors. So they have to take that in. So uh, I, I've always felt that, well, that would have been a really bad had I taken that advice. Yeah, although really you would bad. have been really good at it, especially uh, for the first class passengers. Uh, well, you would have been really have good. Had, but well, I mean, I agree with you. Flight attendants are so mistreated and maltreated yeah. by people. I really want to tip them when I go, but I'm not sure if that's allowed. But I have seen guys, I have seen people on plane, uh, usually men, that have handed out like gift cards like to the flight attendants, like Starbucks oh, gift you. cards. So I might start doing that because I don't think that they get the respect that they deserve. Deserve, no, uh, I agree or, with you. or even the, just the consideration. And did you know this? That, mm. and I'm saying this on our public uh, podcast, so that maybe all 55 people who listen will hear this. But flight attendants do not get paid for the boarding process. Oh yeah, you told me that off the line. Except once. I think Delta is now going to start right. paying there. So all that time when they're helping all the, us idiots like put up our bags, and they're not getting. They don't. Their clock doesn't start until the cabin door. Or shut. I think that's outrageous. 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 Yeah. Everybody write a letter to your airline. Right. No, I agree with you. I agree. With, that's horrible. Well, are you are you ready to uh commence? give advice on bad advice? Give advice you know on I am. Advice? You know it, right? <laughs> All right. Question. Uh, here's question number one. Damned if you do in Dubuque. I was recently a candidate for promotion, and so I went to my mentor and asked him for my next steps. He suggested I go into my boss's office and tell him why I should get it. So I took his advice, and I told my boss I was the best person for the job, I've worked really hard, and I believe I've earned this opportunity. Well, I didn't get it. My boss said I was a bit surprised by my behavior. He thought I was being overly aggressive and bossy. And he certainly didn't like my tone as if this was an ultimatum. That's not who I am, but I'm not sure what to think. Uh, was, it, was my mentor pushing me too far or is my boss not crazy about assertive women? Once again, damned if you do in Dubuque. 
I knew it. I knew this was going to be a woman that took mm-hmm. advice from a man in mm-hmm. the workplace. I knew it. And I got to tell you, this doesn't surprise me a bit, and it drives me cray, cray. <laughs> so, uh, uh, all right. Calm down, Mary. Yes. Serenity now. Serenity, <laughs> Serenity now. now. Use your language <laughs> of love. <laughs> all right. So here's the problem. Men and women's assertive behavior mm. is viewed very differently. It's the old double bind, the old right. gender bias bind, and it's rearing its ugly head in this situation. Uh, men and women, oftentimes, their behavior is misinterpreted by the uh, by the opposite mm-hmm. gender. And more often than not, when a woman is assertive, she's viewed as aggressive, especially mm-hmm. if she hasn't been aggressive before. Right. And the problem with this advice giver, the mentor, is he's giving advice to her based on what he would do as a man mm-hmm. without necessarily understanding the the culture or the dynamics of that workplace or the culture or dynamics or personality of the of the boss and how she normally shows up. Mm-hmm. So while I'm not quite sure I know what I'm going to say to this woman, uh, I will say to those of you who are in the advice giving mm-hmm. mode or mood is you have to or advice receiving mood as well, you've always got to mold the advice into the context of the situation. And you want to take into account the culture of the players and the relationship. And so if you're going to ask for a a promotion, you've got to really pitch it in the language that that person can hear Mm -hmm. and can activate from you. Uh, But I want to tell you a quick story of a woman I knew that had almost a very similar situation. She was a friend of mine and she was the executive director of a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And she was having a little bit of a tryst, if you will, a romantic tryst with uh, a, one of the nonprofit's funders. Okay. Mm. And both parties were married, uh, but not Ooh. to each other. And uh, her board chair found out about this. So mm-hmm. she said, Mary, what should I do? I said, I think you should go to the board chair and be like, oh my God, this is so awful. I can't believe these rumors are spreading. I'm like, you don't have to necessarily admit it, but you've got to say to him, I'm really sorry. I'm going to take care of this situation right away. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure these rumors get quashed. Um, she goes to a friend of ours, a man who says to her, oh, you got to go to your board chair and say, it's none of your business what I do in my personal life. And you just need to step it back. I will conduct my personal life as I see fit. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what happened? Guess whose advice she took? She took his advice. And? And she got canned. Yep. Yeah. Yes, sir, re Bob. Uh, because the problem is, is it was a funder, right? And so that's right. opening all sorts of ethical... But so anyway, my point is... If you are receiving advice from somebody, you got to really make sure that you are shaping and molding that advice to fit your context. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think your answer is great. I think if we were going to talk about the advisor, we should uh, we should really tell the advisor to throttle back on advice to begin with and continue to ask questions. Yeah. If that's the best advisor, is the somebody who keeps questioning you. So, well, what is it about this promotion you like? What are the challenges of getting this promotion? What what are in the way of that? What are the obstacles? And you know, so all of the so then let them think through how would you best handle this if they didn't want this. So the point that's would right. be just keep being Socratic with this. Now let's come back and to maybe even her. help them. Like let's figure out three different approaches. Let's figure out three different pitches. Go. Which one of these pitches there is going to work best for your boss? Yeah, because I do think that, and to your point, this this mentor felt uh, um, that they were giving them sound advice. Why wouldn't you? And yeah. and again, to your point, not knowing that there might be this distinction, because he knows this woman, he knows her. 
So he knows her in a way that says, yeah, I, 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 here's what I would do because I do know you. But what it seems to be, he doesn't know the boss. Yeah. And so if he had had a relationship with this other, this boss, this guy, then he might have been able to tone this and say, okay, you know, this is, you know, this is Bob. Bob's a bit of a jerk. So you got to come at it this way. So, uh, but now about this, uh, this bossiness, I think that's an, it was an interesting thing. I don't think that, you know, what's interesting about that is aside from the, this perceived, I didn't hear anything about why she didn't get the promotion because that's what you want to know she should go back in there at some point and say hey going forward what do i need to start uh doing or stop doing to be considered for promotion because i want to let this go for a little bit a while let it calm down you know and then get back in there and say what's going on wait him out and wait just wait him out if he just reiterates this oh you're bossy or you're too aggressive that doesn't give you any real information and i suspect no matter what you do going forward you're not on his radar yeah. So I think if you're not on his radar, here's a question to look into. Is, uh, is he, has he promoted other women? Which is another question. Yeah. And if not, it's time to transfer or find a job where assertiveness by either sex is welcome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I, I think she has to go back to the well. I think she has to get more information about why not. And then I think once she has that information, she has to determine, okay, is this what I want to do? You know, is this what I want to do with in this place? Okay. Uh, uh, and yet, I, another point, and I think you alluded to it, is the next time she's up for a promotion anywhere, the, I love your scenarios idea. Let's yeah. play out the scenarios. Let me yeah. pretend that here's what I'm going to do. So, I yeah, that- I, I agree. I mean, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, what I worry about is once, now that she took this advice, uh, and it, by the way, it's partly her fault for taking the advice, for not having a better sense of, of the way to approach her boss. Um, and by the way, before ladies, you start like writing me emails about how I'm anti-feminist, I'm really talking about the best way for her to promote herself in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the real situation. Um but I think what I worry about now is that he now has a mental model of her being aggressive. Yeah. And that is really unfortunate because when, if he, if her boss has this mental model mm-hmm. of her, then it's going to be really hard for her to overcome that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, I think that's right. I think, he, or he's always had that. And now yeah. he's, you know, so, so that's why I think getting a little more information, you know, and I do think this is a sort of yeah. a dead end for her right now relative to this individual. Although, you know, uh, she could do a Hail Mary, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she could do a Hail Mary. She could do I mean, a Hail Mary. It's at some not point. beyond repair, right. but you exactly. know, I just can't tell you how angry it makes me when women who stand up for what they want get labeled as aggressive. We've yeah. had a couple of clients over the years that will ask us if we can do coaching for some of their women. Oh, yeah. uh, and like, there's this one client, and we'll right. not name this name, but uh, they had uh, the C suite's all men. And uh, so they have a lot of middle managers for women, then the director level below the C suite maybe one or two. And they they asked us to coach one woman who was just a little too aggressive. She wants to be a director, but she's a little too aggressive. And we said, no, we're like, right. you're in the construction business. I've met your directors. They are oh, very aggressive yeah. men. Yeah. And don't like, she was just being assertive. She was just, but the same behavior that they reward in the men, they reward in the women. I said, you know, we're not going to coach this person until you can take a, you can take an yeah. honest look, an honest, an honest look at your, at the behaviors of these men and tell me in what ways uh, she's worse than they are. Well, these, these guys couldn't. are going, my mom didn't act that way. My mom yeah, doesn't do exactly. that. You know, so. you know I'll tell you another challenge for the young, young women is a, they're not they're not uh, in on the politics of, a, of an organization yet and they're coming in there from the perspective of being uh, playing with the boys on a more level playing field in general 
yeah. in, in their lives. And so they, I think that they have, and so I think it's really disconcerting for them to come into a workplace, be who they are, be authentic to who they are, yeah. and then have that interpreted through a lens that has nothing to do with, uh, uh, you know, nothing to do with a, a difference uh, yeah. that is valid in any way. That's a really good point. That's going to be a little, a little bit of a harsh reality wake-up call for some of the young women. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know. Give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends to tune into Cubicle Confidential. Well, speaking of a wake-up call. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh-oh. hello. Uh-oh. Uh, this is, <laughs> I feel some, this is that uh, question. Remember I told you about, uh, I, was the, I was the person who gave some advice. God, I can't wait to hear this. I am uh, yeah. all ears. Well, this one's called The Highway. Okay, you ready? Yep. I have a bone to pick. I sent a question in uh, for one of your shows. I think it was aired under the gossip, the title of gossip. And here's the question I sent. I'm sort of stuck. I just found out that we may be closing our bank branch and just two of us will be kept on while everyone else will be let go. I have been tapped to stay on, but I don't know who the other person is. I was sworn to secrecy because the bank needs these people right up until the day they close, which is in two months. I remember this one. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. As the bank assist- assistant manager, I feel awful because I know one of my favorite colleagues lives paycheck to paycheck. Additionally, her cousin works in this branch. I want to let her in on it, but if I told her in no uncertain terms, this would, if I, I'm going to let, but I was told in no uncertain terms that that was a no-no if I wanted a career here. If I tell her, she'll tell her cousin. No question about it. How do I help her and not get caught? Originally signed, their way or the highway. (laughs) Okay. Now, the rest of his question. So that was the original question that, yes, that they yes. struggled with. Uh-huh, I remember. Like this. Mary, you said it was my obligation to do as the bank asked, but Chris, you said it was an ethical issue, and I sh- should consider telling her since the bank isn't being loyal or caring. Well, I listened to Chris. Uh-huh. And I told my, fr- and, and I told my friends who got jobs at other banks within a few weeks, but now... I'm out of a job. Thanks. (laughs) So what do I tell people when I'm looking for a new job? And what do I ask if they ask for references, Mary? Well, well, well. (laughs) This feels like Christmas or some other gift-giving holiday. (laughs) It's taking every fiber of my being not to say, I told you so. And this is bringing me so much joy because anyone that knows me knows that I love more than anything in the world being right. (laughs) Yes, she does. I think there's some level of gloating going on here. I once had a world history teacher, Mr. Evans, in the 10th grade that said to me, Mary, you can be right all the time or you could have some friends. (laughs) And I haven't made that choice yet. So uh, anyway, so first of all, I'm really sorry for Highway. Um, Man, you took the moral high ground and it bit you in the butt. I got other phrases. You were hoisted by your own petard. (laughs) The good news is you can sleep well at night, but you're going to be sleeping on a straw bed as you go into poverty being unemployed. Um, Or you might be sleeping on someone else's couch. So here's the thing. So I am really sorry um, about this. Uh, And it was a tough call. And, you know, you did do the thing that hopefully paid off 
on some good karma, uh, just not any money. And I hope the people that you helped are showing a little appreciation and can help you. So here's what I would say um, as they move forward about the references is, um, you know, the bad news is you probably can't use your old employer as a reference. Uh, I'm not thinking that's going to work because when they try to give you a reference, they might say, yeah, Highway was great until he ratted out like company <laughs> secrets. Like that's probably not going to fly well. Um, so I would see if you can't use the you know, people that you saved, your cousin and your friends that you helped get another job as references. Uh, and when you're asked about why you left, you know, there's a couple couple of options that you can do here. One, you could be totally honest and say, I took the moral high road uh, and mea culpa at that. You could be partially honest. You could say that you accidentally uh, let some people know about the company's plans and how bad you feel about it and how that was a great big lesson for you, blah, blah, blah. Or you can just um, you can just fabricate the situation a little mm. bit, prevaricate, um, and just say you were part of the layoff in general. So mm. those are a couple options as you're looking for the new job. But for references, yeah, you got you to gotta use your friends and other, you can't use that employer probably. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I have much different than this, I, I'll, other than the fact that I'm really sorry this happened. I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> that didn't uh, sound very sincere, Chris. Let's try that again. I'm really sorry this happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. And what else do you need to say? Uh, I was Starts right. with Mary. Mary, oh, yeah. you were. I'm sorry you I took was. Mary's advice in this. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't take Mary's <laughs> advice in this. That's, That's just all great. I wanted. Well, it seems, no, look, I like that ethics won out, quite frankly, but ethics, as you said, does not put food on the table. But <laughs> I, I did am, say that, but I wish I had. <laughs> yeah, but uh, at the same time, though, I'm happy to hear you're still in touch with your former colleagues. You wouldn't have been had you gone the other route. Oh, that's so, true. You still did the right thing here. Uh, and I would, as Mary said, I would refrain from telling this story to prospective employers. You just won't look good. I don't, no version of this will make you heroic, even though it is heroic what you did. Uh, I would just simply say you were a victim, just as Mary said, of the bank restructuring, which resulted in a job job uh, uh, reductions, and yours was one of them. So that's the end of story. This this idea that uh, you can pass along your references, I think you could probably pass along your references, just because firms tend to be very um, quiet about it, all of these things. They don't mm. share that these are bad employees. They don't say that because th that in, in engages them in a possibility of some kind of, um, what's the word? You know, Lawsuit? Uh, yeah, liability or some kind yeah. of engagement. And so they are very neutral. Yes, what they do is they confirm when you left. Yeah. That's as much as they do. They don't give you the opinion of you. Uh, that's just not done. It's just not in, uh, prudent for them to do so. So I would know, also, that's a really important point. I want to make yeah. sure people hear that because Chris is right. There's a lot of employers. I mean, some will actually give an evaluation, small but Chris is firms, right. Small firms, very small firms. firms but, but the big firms really do kind of um, steer away from giving any kind of an evaluative reference. Exactly right. Now, if it's just a one-man shot or like if it's a small company and, and, and you know, the owner is the... Uh, the third generation who's been there and there's 50 employees, they're going to tell you, ah, I don't like this guy. Yeah. But but otherwise, the, uh, people just don't do that. So I also think, too, that you're going to be looking for a new job. Why you have, You're have you an assistant manager. A manager is a manager. I, I want you to broaden, uh, broaden the scope of what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. I think a bank manager is fine, but you have managerial skills. So why don't you start thinking about where else can I leverage that skill set? That's Because that's transferable. Um, and, the, and the other point is, Lastly, is the firm you look for. 
do look for a firm that has is one of the 100 best places to work or the 50 best places to work or has a great reputation for how they treat their employees you know the patagonias of the world look for this kind of firm because i think you aligned uh, your ethics aligns with theirs and so i think that would make you feel better in a place like that versus always covering what you believe to be right even though they might have a very different view of what is right relative to what they want to do yeah. I would say, I, I, I think that's, that's good advice. I'd also say, be careful if you're going to go into management, be careful about making friends with your people because oh, it's going to just point. put you yeah. back in the same position. Yeah, if you're point. going into management, Chris and I differ on this a little bit, but if you're in management, then you got to toe the company line. Um, uh, so you, I would steer away from making uh, your employees your friends again. And say, yeah. uh, tell yeah. us, by the way, tell us where you, well, at least tell Mary where you land. <laughs> I don't think he's going to trust you. But I will say this if you do use your, um, if you do use your, your former colleagues whom you saved as, you know, character references, make sure they tell, you tell them not to tell that story yes. either. They can yeah. say, like, oh, he did me, right. you know, he helped me find a new job or whatever, but don't make sure they know not to say that you told them company secrets. Yeah. Well, best of luck out there, Highway. Okay, I'm just going to give a great big pat on my back, you know. If you have a workplace question, hey, people, we're here to help. Email us to info at cubicleconfidential.com. We'd love to hear from you. There's one more chance for you to give brilliant advice, Mary. Shall we have Bring it. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. This is called Taking a Pass on Passion in Lincoln. I'm feeling a little lost. I just graduated from college here in Nebraska, and the commencement speaker, a former alumni and a super rich tech guy, says I should follow my passion. I asked my classmates, and they were super pumped after listening to him. I have to be honest. I wasn't, and I don't have one. Hmm. I like stuff, but I don't have an urge to set the world on fire. My parents worked really hard to help me pay for my tuition, and I don't want to disappoint them. How do I find my passion, or am I destined to never have it and end up some kind of loser? Once again, taking a pass on passion in Lincoln. Hmm. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> and by a little bit, I mean a lot. This makes me bat crazy. Yeah. I, I think I'm like you. I think you're going to agree with me. I cannot stand it when people mm -mm. tell young people just to follow your passion. Right. Do what you love and the money will follow. Find your passion. Mm -hmm. I just, I think it is such just bullshit advice. I mean, which is to be really clear. First of all, I do think it's wonderful when people can be passionate about their work. I am passionate about my work. But here's the thing. This advice drives me crazy for two reasons. Number one, not everybody knows what the passion is at 21. In fact, most right. people don't have any idea what the passion is at 21. Secondly, this always strikes me as a little bit elitist and privileged in advice because mm. it's the underlying assumption is that you as a student, you know, you as a graduate, irrespective of any contextual factors like 
socioeconomic background, experiences, immigration status, like your need to work, your need to make money. That none of that matters because you know what? It's all just about being finding passion and mm-hmm. working hard, and then money will come. So I just find that very elitist too. So mm-hmm. drives me crazy. The other thing is research shows that passion isn't just found in most people; it is developed. Right. It's developed by following things that you're interested in. It's developed by finding what your purpose is as opposed to your passion. So finding, understanding like what your purpose, like is your purpose to help people? Is it to make the world a better place? Like whatever it is, like narrowing it more on your purpose. So I say to this person, you are an idiot if you think that that's the only way to succeed. So what you want to do is your first job should be about finding out what you're good at, finding out your interests, your strengths, your talents, finding out what you like to do. How, what are some ways you can use them? Uh, it's about making connections. It's about getting mm-hmm. some experiences and growing and learning. If you stumble upon, uh, if you stumble upon your passion, good for you. But chances are, if you're going to be like most people, you're going to develop a passion after you get some experience and what the sorts of things that you can do in the world of work. I love your advice. I think that really captures. I'm, and by the way, I am in, I'm in Mary's school on this annoyance. It's a pet oh. peeve of mine, this whole passion uh, presentation, the passion play. But this whole passion presentation. You know what happened here is, well, it, it says it here, super rich tech guy, super rich tech guy. Okay, he's an exception. And yep. so an exception. And by the way, they present themselves as if they had a plan to get where they are. And they yeah. never point out the luck. Or the serendipitousness of, of their situation. Never, never. Or the fact that they're probably rich white guys to start. Yeah. So they never, that's never, they just say, and by the way, once you arrive at something, you think that what you have the answer to it by virtue of the, of, of the arrival. And it's so, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm always annoyed by this. Um, it's like, but there are other ways to, to move the, the you know, there, to move into your own futures. Uh, now, there are some choices here. Some people want to work their ass off early on in their lives. So for instance, um, the Tiger Woods or the Jodie Fosters of the world, these people have been involved in either sports or acting since they were four. So, and I think it was coincidental, they got lucky in the sense that the four-year-old ha- was doing something that the 24-year-old also likes doing. Yeah. You see, I think that's very serendipitous. But I also think that's an imposition because it wasn't a four-year-old who took this person to auditions or took them on a golf course. It was a parent who wanted to project themselves into this child. So that being serendipitous and coincidental, fine. Otherwise, we've got a very unhappy kid as an adult. Now, so now let's say you do choose in your early years to really dedicate yourself. And that gives you a, a heads up over your peer group early on, as long as that's what you choose to do. But I'm with Mary, though. I think another route is one of discovery. We don't know ourselves. And so I think you should be... Uh, trying things. In fact, the early years of your life are better. The, uh, David Brooks calls this the odyssey phase of life where you should explore because the economic costs are, are lower for exploration and you don't know what you don't know about yourself. I'll give you a quick example really fast. Is I, I ran a meeting once for 20 senior partners of a fancy law firm and we were, they're having issues of connecting. So I had, a, I had an icebreaker question. I said, why did you become a lawyer? I, and I went around the room. Here's something, 19, 19 of 20 people did not start out to become partners at law firms. They were architects, writers, musicians, dancers. It was crazy. Only one person had intended to be a lawyer, but all of them arrived where they are through the experiences they had getting to the decision they eventually made that fit who they are. So these speeches about finding your passion are all well and good, but I think in this case, I think they do more harm than good. Because look at your- 
Our question, look, it pointed out, he's worried he might be a loser. You're yeah. not a loser. In fact, I think you're the opposite of a loser because you're questioning it. You're questioning yeah. it. I think you have everything to gain by being open to the possibilities of your future. And so I say, take a few risks, fall down, get up, fall down, get up. And then one day you'll say all of the things you've done, uh, why, you're, why you like what some things, why you don't like other things, and how you put that all together and become who you'll be. That's what I think. Who's ah? Absolutely. You know it. You know, and Steve Jobs, I think, was the one that started this whole bullshit line because mm. uh, with his famous uh, graduation speech. Oh, uh, yeah. So you know, I recently was doing a program with uh, um, Marymount University in Virginia, and they have this great program where they're bringing college seniors together, and we're giving them some some sort of like you know curriculum around preparing for your first job, blah blah blah. And I asked them, it was the first cohort was like sixty kids, and I asked them, how many of you know what your passion is right now for your field? Out of sixty kids, three raised their hand. <laughs> And I asked the three where they were, and one was cybersecurity, one was uh, something else in technology, and another one was entrepreneurship, and, mm-hmm. which I think is funny because at the entrepreneur side, it's like, well, what are you passionate about? Like yeah. in, ter- in terms of, because like, I don't know, I just want to be my own boss. So, like, I'm like, dude, you, you're going to need to go back to the back burner and think about that a little bit <laughs> exactly. because it is going to matter what it is that you choose to do. <laughs> so I do, I just think we give them such a disservice. But the thing is, I love about, um, what was his name? Um uh, taking a pass on passion yes. is that the more young people that stand up and say, what the what? Like, right. this is BS. I don't know what my passion is. The more that it's okay for the young people to have these conversations. Right. And the more that hopefully the adults around them will stop giving them such trite advice. Uh, so I, I, I very much admire, uh, taking a pass on passion for standing up and saying, like, this is, this is, this doesn't help me. No, but I also think that. To your point about the adults, and I know we have to wrap up, but the point about the adults is these poor kids feel they don't want to disappoint their parents. Yeah. And so, and then they hear these speeches by these super successful people that I should have a passion and all that. And maybe I'm not, maybe I'm, maybe I am a disappointment to my parents. And yeah. I think the parents, I think these speeches are often made for the parents and not the kid. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, which is just too bad. And I love what you said, like a graduation speech shouldn't make people feel less than, no. you know, and I know they're trying to motivate, but like, I think there's better ways to motivate things Absolutely. like you can do it or, you know, here are all the obstacles that you're going to overcome. Like, but to like make them, to make more than half of your audience start to question, well, I don't think I have a passion. I'm not going to be successful. It's just, it's wrongheaded and I wish it would stop. Well, it's an interesting thing you're saying because I've never been asked to give a, a, a speech at a graduation, but I think we should be giving a speech about what happened because this is closure. I think we should be yeah. giving a speech about the reflection about how the friends we've made, the networks we've made, the experiences we had here. I think that because when you talk about the future, you're not closing the present. Yeah, that's and true. I, so I, I was kind of like the reflection of, the, of why. But this isn't was that what great. like isn't that what like the valedictorian does? I don't know. I've not, I, oh, I by the way, the valedict- you were the valedictorian. Oh, valedictorian. God, no. I was okay. close, but never. No. I have sat through so many valedictorian speeches for like my nieces and nephews in high school oh. and stuff, and I want to punch them in the face too. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I agree, right? I agree. <laughs> I like, and these are kids. I'm like, my sister's like, quit being such a. B-. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? This girl just got up and said at the high school graduation, competing is over. We've competed throughout four years, and now we just get to, I'm like, really, honey? Because yeah. let me tell you, the competition. <laughs> Has just begun. <laughs> no, no, I totally. Get. Or the other ones where they're they're fourteen going on forty five. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> I want to give his like, remember when we toilet papered, you know, the mascot like yeah, things yeah, like that's that. More like so it. that's more like it. Well, you know, Chris, I am passionate about the work that I do with people uh, in the workplace, and I'm passionate about spending this time with you in Cubicle Confidential. Oh, now that was good. I Thank like you. That. What are you passionate about? Well, I'm. I well, that <laughs> I don't know. Now you put me in a, a, a spot. A, yeah, right on the spot. What am I passionate about? It's interesting. I get worked up in the moment, in the sense that if there's something that I can glean onto in terms of something I feel strongly about in that moment. Then I, then it it comes to the fore, but it usually doesn't bubble up until it's in the moment. Like this thing with passion. This is yeah. this peeve. It bubbled up about my reaction to it. <laughs> But if I were just sitting back thinking, what what peeves, you know, what pisses me off, I wouldn't think passion. You're kind of me. passionate about art and things like that, oh, and yeah, architect things that. like that. You love I that do stuff. Like yeah. Stuff. But am and I passionate? No, yeah. I don't know. I'm well, interested. You're, pa- you're interested, but you're passionate about helping people. It's what you've yeah, I do like life. that, but in, in my own way, though. You know, I want to help in my own See- way. See, listeners, Chris DeSantis <laughs> is over 40 and still doesn't know what he's passionate about. Uh, yeah. So there's hope for him, too. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Big thanks to our amazing, overworked, underpaid, yet passionate producer, Mr. Jack Edinger. I think Jack is passionate about what yeah, he I think does. Jack's passionate. I think he's more passionate about the big rock concerts he produces yeah, rather yeah. than us. But or I think the documentaries so- that he does. Or Jack the documentaries. documentaries as well. Yes. So I think, but I think we maybe have a little, he has a little passion for us. Um, anyway, if you have a workplace question or a cubicle dilemma, uh, please let us know. We'll take all questions, large, small, easy, or hard. And there are lots of ways to find us. You could email us to info at cubicleconfidential.com. Tweet us at cubicleconfide1. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Chris DeSantis, Mary Abajay, Cubicle Confidential, people we are easy to find so until we see you next time we want you to work hard be kind get some passion and if you can't call us all right see you next week